This morning, we had a wonderful, wonderful start to our Sunday morning of worship here at Friendship in that we had a service before this one at 9 a.m. that Andy Hale led, our teaching pastor here. He led the hour where it was a time of interaction, uh, a time of interaction in studying through right now uh, the middle, about the middle of the book of 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, and it's going to lead through the resurrection story uh, that uh, can lead us up to Easter. But there was a time of interaction. Uh, they were texting the text. It's like uh, the soap method, uh, going through the text and, and seeing what the scriptures said about God and humanity and how the Spirit then, in light of those truths, uh, really invites us to examine our hearts, how we're going to live out those truths and share them with others. And so if you have the opportunity, if you feel the Spirit's leading to get more Bible teaching and more worship on a Sunday morning, that option is available to you at 9 a.m. Keith Pipes even uh, led through uh, some worship through song at the end of the of the service, so it's not just a Bible study hour, it's another service, and the songs that Keith led weren't even the same songs that we will sing in this hour, so it was, uh, you get, if you come to both hours, you get uh, two messages, you get uh, uh, two times of, of singing and song, and hopefully twice the blessing of knowing better about who you are in Christ and who God is. Well, Here's the icebreaker question for this morning. Who is someone that taught you something valuable that is still paying dividends in your life? Now, I'm not just talking about financial dividends like, you know, uh, um, you know buy low and sell high. That's served me well. Or maybe you have some recent influencer in your life that says, just whatever happens, buy GameStop. That's exactly, and hold on to it. Uh, that's not my advice to you, by the way. Uh, but maybe it's something uh, uh, philosophical and practical at the same time. Have you ever heard this one? Uh, measure twice and what? Cut once. Yeah, when you're building something, uh, whether it's a, on a dress form or you're framing out a house, measure twice Make sure you get the measurements right. That way, you only have to cut once. Um, I don't know how that works for multiple trips to Home Depot. I can never make one trip to Home Depot for a project. It's always back and forth, back and forth. Home Depot should really sell condominiums on top of Home Depot so that you, never, you can just go downstairs. But if you have a condo, do you, oh, you can do interior remodeling. Well, one example in my life... Uh, of, of this example of I heard something, uh, I learned something, and it stuck with me, and it's still paying dividends, or, it's, or, or it finally has paid dividends in my life, is from another pastor, not too unsurprisingly for my job application, or my job uh, occupation, not occupation, I can't even talk. But anyways, uh, this pastor's example wasn't, 
an overtly theological one, and uh, neither was it a direct instruction where he said, you must do this. No, it was an example of his life, how he lived, and his thinking that went behind it. And he demonstrated this day to day in his life. And you're probably asking, well, what, what was it? Can this be fruitful for me? Well, it first came to my attention one day when we were meeting for coffee. It was early on in our relationship, and I wasn't a pastor at the time. I was still convinced it would be a bad idea for me to be a pastor, and some of you might agree with me. But he mentioned in this conversation over coffee that he played college football, and he was quite older at the time. He's even older now, but he played college football, and as a former athlete myself, emphasis on former, uh, and a former coach, and just a just a big sports fan of a lot of different sports, I thought that we were about to have some deep bonding and maybe even some needling over our competing interests of uh, teams that we would root for or stars that were our favorites. And yet, I was mistaken. I was really wrong because when I asked him about his rooting interests or about the big game that was coming up, he answered with a a general kind of disinterest that he didn't really want to talk about that. He kind of changed the subject a bit, and he told me that he was more interested in the, I don't know, appreciation for the human stories, the storylines behind the game. And the people, the human people that were involved in the competition, regardless of logos, cities, or colors involved. He responded to me with this musing question. He asked, what if people came to church that gathered to worship with the same excitement and anticipation to a gathering of believers ready to worship Jesus together as they do at a stadium or arena? What if they came to church with the same excitement and anticipation as they did to a stadium or arena? And I said, well, if you allow bone-crushing contact during the worship service, you might get a strong crowd. Of course, you might have to serve alcohol as well to get that exuberance. But for me... uh, A lot of you know that I grew up in the state of Oregon. And growing up in Oregon, for instance, you were uh, one of two things. You were either a University of Oregon duck or you were an Oregon State University beaver. Uh, You either wore green and yellow or orange and black. Uh, The yearly game between the two, which went on, has been going on for more than 100 years in football, it was literally called the Civil War. (laughs) That's how the state viewed the rivalry. Yet, as the years in my life have gone by, and especially as I've become a pastor here in SEC country, SEC, SEC, I guess all my football fans came to the first service or they're still in bed. Uh, Anyways, I found myself living here rooting less and less just for the Oregon Ducks. And I found myself more rooting for more 
uh, West region teams because I, I'm like, well, I, I like this whole we root for our conference thing. We root for our team, but we root for everybody else. And so I started doing that. And even um, as a green, a green and yellow duck, my feet are webbed. More on that later. Uh, when I saw the hated beavers, which everyone hates beavers, right? Uh, nature's engineers. When I saw that my childhood hated beavers playing the Tennessee Volunteers in basketball a couple of nights ago, I actually found myself rooting for the beavers and then rooting for the Vols because I live here and so many of you are Tennessee fans. And I went back and forth rooting for these two orange teams and I grew up and still sort of hate orange. What can explain that? Well, the reason is, is that I have friends back in my home state that are Beavers fans. I have friends here that are balls for life. But mostly, it's because I was just rooting for a good game of stories, a great storyline, people who were competing to achieve goals. Less and less and less and less every day, I find myself having passionate opinions about subjective things, about, about trivial things. I find myself less and less having hot takes, like Solo is by far the worst movie of the Star Wars franchise, and Rogue One is by far the most underrated movie of the Star Wars franchise. I believe those things, by the way, but I don't have a problem if someone else disagrees or has a differing opinion. I, I have less of a rooting interest in sports, and because I think this example of this pastor in my past, a seed of thought that he planted in me years ago has taken root, and I now root for people regardless of their religion, their colors, their region, or their affiliation. And I know, I know that I wouldn't be reaping the fruit of this thought, being free of, stay with me here, being free of having a bad weekend just because of a blown call or an improbable bounce of a randomly shaped ball, round or oblong. I wouldn't be reaping the, the fruit of that freedom if it weren't for the example of this man in my life. Now, that's a pretty long uh, preamble to our sermon series that we continue this morning, and that sermon series is called All Things New. And in this message series leading up to Easter, we're going to continue to talk about how Jesus gives us new life. And this week, it's going to center around how the Son of God gives us a new example, a new example. And the scripture we'll be studying this first Sunday of spring, and as this week leads up to the Jewish holiday and celebration of Passover next weekend, the scripture that we're going to study is in the Gospel of John. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn or navigate over to John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. And as we navigate over to the passage, let's 
start off our time of reading and study by talking to God. We're going to talk to God right now, asking, if, asking Him to show us truth in His Word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, as we've prayed before, we're going to pray again with specificity. Speak to us through Your Word. Reveal truths in Your Scriptures about who You are and who we are with and without You. And use Your Holy Spirit to reveal those truths and speak to us in how we should live. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 13, uh, starting with verse 1. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that he should betray Jesus. Because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from the meal, removed his outer clothes, took a towel, and tied it around himself. He poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel he had wrapped around himself. Then he came to Simon Peter. <laughs> Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not understand what I am doing now, but you will understand after these things. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus replied, Do you like my caricature of Peter? I'm, I'm inferring this in the text. I think it's an accurate one. Jesus replied, The one who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you disciples are clean but not every one of you. For Jesus knew the one who was going to betray him for this reason, he said, not every one of you is clean. So when Jesus had washed their feet and put his outer clothing back on, he took his place at the table again and said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and do so correctly for that is what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an, what? Example. You should do just as I have done for you. I tell you the solemn truth. The slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent as a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you understand these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, after reading this section of Scripture, what do we see in our encounter with God and humanity? In other words, if you were reading this passage on your own or with a small group of friends at school or work or in your home, you could take a sheet of paper, or if you had a, a whiteboard, 
you could make two columns, two columns and write God over one column and humanity over the other. And then after reading this passage together or by yourself, you could just list in, this, in these passages of Scripture everything that you see about what it says about God and what it says about humanity. And you do that until you run out of things to observe or you just run out of time and you need to move on to the next thing. But the first thing that you might see or you might write down if you're going verse by verse through this passage is that Jesus, the Son of God, knew his time had come to return to the Father. So you might write down that Jesus knew what was coming. <laughs> uh, the second thing, that's, so that's one thing that we encounter about God. You can also infer from that that since he was returning to the Father, that means God sent the Son, and the Son, Jesus, went willingly. That's a couple of more things that you encounter about God. Do you see how that works? And so you can list that in your column about God. So for the purposes of time, though, and this format, uh, if you want to do that more interactively, that's what our 9 o'clock service is for. But for this format, uh, I am going to look at some of the things that I have seen in this passage thematically that seem to point to Jesus giving a new example. S significantly, we encounter that God, uh, the Son of God, Jesus, set a new example in service. Jesus served when no one else did in a way he shouldn't really have had to because it was so beneath him as the God of the universe, the, the member of the Trinity that everything, all of life was created out of. Look at verses 2 through 5 again. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already put into the heart of Jesus, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that he should betray Jesus because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He got up from the meal, removed his outer clothes, took a towel, tied it around himself. He poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel he had wrapped around himself. Look, I know a lot of you know how I feel about feet, right? Do you know how I feel about feet? You do. I am happy when you go on vacation, and I'm happy that you want to share pictures on social media of the ocean or the pool, but can you not ruin the view, the beautiful view of the ocean and the palm trees and the pool and the turquoise water with images of your feet in the foreground, I mean, I just, I'm going to have to block some of you because of your feet, or at least put some shoes on. You know, there are some really hard scriptures in the Bible to wrestle with, and for me, this one's really hard for me. You think some of the other sayings of Jesus are hard, like the example of washing feet, I'm going, that's descriptive, that's not prescriptive. I need to serve, but I don't have to wash people's feet. I don't want to touch feet. And here, don't miss the detail that the method that Jesus used in serving his disciples in this way was to take off his outer garments, like the warmer 
pieces, and then he wraps a towel around himself to what? To dry their feet. Do you know what's missing in this description? That's right. What did he use to wash their feet? He doesn't talk about a washcloth or a brush with a really long handle that maybe curves around so you can do it out of sight from another corner. I know this is probably just my problem, but he likely used his bare hands to wash their dirty feet. And I don't think he had Dawn dish soap with grease fighting, you know. I don't, it was just water and his hands. The bare hands of the Son of God on their dirty, stinky feet. Their rabbi, their teacher, their leader and Lord doing dirty and menial acts of service for all 12 of the disciples. And this included the one that was going to betray him, Judas. So not only was this a new example in service, it was also a new example in humility. A new example in humility. Jesus is God, and yet he was willing to do the dirty job. It should have been beneath him, and Peter knew it. Remember verses uh, 6, 7, and 8? Then he came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? That's disbelief. Jesus replied, you do not understand what I am doing now, but you will understand after these things. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter is basically saying, in an encounter with the Son of God and humanity in this narrative, the holy should never touch the unholy. The clean should never touch the unclean. The Lord should never serve the servant. That's what's in Peter's mindset. That's what was really in humanity's mindset at the time until this new example of Jesus. And Jesus had this new example of, yes, service, but also humility to teach the disciples. In fact, it could be argued that Peter was too proud to be served by the Lord, by his Lord. That is, until Jesus told Peter that if he denied Jesus' service, that Peter would have, quote, no share, unquote, with him. That's when Peter goes nuts. That's when Peter goes full Peter and basically says, wash all of me then. <laughs> I want my share. I want, I want to be identified with you. Wash all of me. So just so we're keeping up in this encounter with God and humanity, and if you're making a column of things that we observe in, in Scripture about this encounter between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the unclean, the Lord, the Master, and His servants, so far, humanity has displayed that we will let others do our dirty work. <laughs> we'll be too prideful to accept service. And a humanity will be so self-interested uh, that once we find out the benefit, we will try and get all we can. Okay, it's not flattering. The Bible's not flattering about humanity 
because the Bible is accurate about humanity. Uh, No wonder we as humans needed a new example. In Jesus' author, Andrew Murray said it well when he said, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. Wow. Isn't that a powerful description of the Son of God? Not only was Jesus willing to do the dirty job of washing feet in service and humility, he was also redefining for the disciples and us what leaders should look like. He was giving us a new example in leadership. A new example in leadership. Jesus demonstrated a new example of leadership through service and humility. Have you ever had somebody that really was eager to serve, but then went on and on about how great it was that they served, or how good their service was, or they really needed to be noticed in their service? Yeah, that happens. But think about the other ways that Jesus was a new kind of leader to the disciples. He told Peter and the others that they could not go with him where he was going, and that's he was going to the cross, and he was going to be killed, and he was going to those places and to that temporary condition to conquer death for them and for us, but that they could join him eventually. Think about how, as a leader, he knew who was going to betray him, and he still served in humility by washing Judas's feet. Look at John chapter 13 again, but starting now at verse 21. We haven't read this yet. When he had said these things, Jesus was greatly distressed in spirit and testified, I tell you the solemn truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples began to look at one another, worried and perplexed to know which of them he was talking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, do you know what, who most theologians think this person, this disciple was? John, the, the one that's writing this gospel. And so <laughs> instead of saying, then he said to me, because this is, this is how much he loved me, So even though it seems like, oh, it was John, and he said to the one Jesus loved, that's kind of arrogant. Actually, John is writing himself out that it's not important that he was the one that he spoke to. So anyways, um, I love that, though. uh, So one of his disciples, the the one Jesus loved, was at the table to the right of Jesus in a place of honor. So Simon Peter gestured to this disciple to ask Jesus, who it was he was referring to. Maybe Peter was uh, processing, okay, I kind of got myself in hot water with denying the whole foot washing thing. I got that one wrong. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nod over to John. Hey, you ask. You ask. I'm not asking him this. You ask him. I mean, isn't this a picture of real humanity here? This is not some ancient text of, of 
that is not applicable anymore. I mean, this is your this is your homeschool mob around the table. This is your classroom. This is your boardroom. This is your Zoom call where you want to ask a question, but you don't want so you message the other person, you know, directly on Zoom. Hey, ask, ask this. You're in a place of honor. I'm in the crosshairs. I mean, this is humanity. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved leaned back against Jesus' chest and asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus replied, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread after I've dipped it in the dish. Then he dipped the piece of bread in the dish and gave it to Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. So it's very possible that John processed that, saw it, knew it. It doesn't say anywhere in Scripture here that John then shared that information with everyone else. It's possible that John saw it and processed it and knew, but more likely, Jesus just blinded them all to this because it wasn't important. Judas could not be stopped from the betrayal because the betrayal was necessary for Christ to pay the penalty for all of us. And after Judas took the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are about to do, do quickly. Now, and here's why this theory of John not getting it. Now, none of those present at the table understood why Jesus said this to Judas. Again, John might have, and he's just doing the humble thing again when he's penning this. He's not referring to himself, and he's not going, but I knew that would be very human to do. So most likely, supernaturally, Jesus hid it even from John's mind at the time. Some thought that because Judas had the money box, Jesus was telling him to buy whatever they needed for the feast, the feast of the Passover that was coming up. I mean, if you're looking at the calendar right now, like this is when it's happening. This meal is like right now, this week. Jesus was telling them to buy whatever they needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. Jesus took the piece of bread and went out immediately. Now it was night. When Jesus had, Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and he will glorify him right away. Children. <laughs> There's that word again. We referred to referred to during the prayer time. Children, I am still with you for a little while. You will look for me, and just as I said to the Jewish religious leaders, where I am going, you cannot come. Now I tell you the same. So, don't miss at the very beginning of this passage that we just read, where we see the example of leadership in verse 21, where John notes that Jesus was greatly distressed in spirit. A great leader doesn't have to like look all composed. A great leader can experience and express great distress in their spirit. A great leader becomes distressed over the sin and the shortcomings of his disciples. And yet Jesus, Jesus let Judas 
do what he was going to do. That's where Jesus, as a leader, lets people go to do their will, knowing that his Father's will will ultimately be done. That his enemies will actually serve God's will and bring God glory. Then look at the new example of leadership that that Jesus shows on how he deals with Peter. Again, when we fast forward to verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, because you know what Peter's thinking. <laughs> where are you going? Like, what's the address? Uh, uh, you're, go, well, I'll find a way to get there. Jesus, uh, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Uh, Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, <laughs> Will you lay down your life for me? I tell you the solemn truth. This is true, and it's kind of depressing. <laughs> you, you think I'm depressed in spirit just about Judas? You know what else is distressing, Peter? You. <laughs> I tell you the solemn truth, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. How many of you have seen that movie, uh, I think it's in the 90s somewhere, that Tom Cruise movie, Minority Report? Have you seen, how many of you have seen that movie, Minority Report? All right, not many of you. Okay, well good, I've got a brief synopsis for you. Okay, it's an action detective thriller, and it's set in Washington, D.C. in the year 2054, where police, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Cruise plays a police detective, police utilize a psychic technology to arrest and convict murderers before they commit the crime. So they see psychically into the future of, that that you are going to commit murder, and before you even have that idea in your head or heart, they can arrest and convict you showing footage, like video footage of the future of where you commit the crime. And so you can, so talk about a victimless crime, right? Uh, but it's, I mean, it seems all benevolent of the government to do that, and you can imagine the movie is a lesson in in free will and determination and, and, and if it's morally right to arrest some, somebody for something that they haven't done yet. Well, think about during the Bronze Age when the Son of God dwelt among humanity. How do you think a powerful leader in the Bronze Ages would deal with a follower, a vocal follower, when the leader had foreknowledge of that follower's denial of him three times, when the, le the leader would be effectively dethroned and crucified. How do you think the leader would deal with that follower? At best, they'd probably be thrown into a primitive prison, maybe just cast off into the wilderness and kind of shunned. But very possibly, they'd be put to death for their treason, depending on the heart and the rule of the ruler. But in this case, in this case, and in the case of the betrayer, G Judas, and the denier, Peter, Jesus let them do 
what they were going to do. This is leadership through truth, solemn truth, and grace. Amazing grace. Jesus told them the truth about their trajectories. Do what you're going to do, but go do it quickly. Um, you want to follow me? You're going to deny me. And you're not just going to deny me, you're going to deny me, deny me three times. Jesus told them the truth about their trajectories, but let them follow their, the paths of their choosing. The only difference, by the way, between Judas and Peter is one accepted the grace and forgiveness of the Savior. And that was Peter. Additionally, Jesus told the disciples that they had to lead others in a new way, setting a new example. Over in the first gospel in your New Testament, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. So if you want to go there, it's Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 25, but I've, I've got it right here. It says, But Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. He's talking about leadership here, right? The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions use their authority over them. It must not be this way among you! Exclamation mark. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Judas, no, that's it. Um, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was Jesus' teaching and example throughout his ministry among the disciples while he was here on earth. You know, there's two basic primary methods of leadership, if, if, you, if you boil it all down. And that is, you either lead by example or you lead by command. You hear this in sports analogies a lot. Like, oh yeah, he's a really vocal leader. He's vo oh, he's, oh yeah, he's fiery in the huddle. He gets fired up. Um, uh, or there's either that or, oh, well, yeah, he's quiet, but he leads by example. Well, Jesus modeled by example in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, that we first read. He modeled by example when he washed feet. And then he's using it He's leading by command here in Matthew. He used actions and he used commands. Have you heard that saying, uh, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words? Uh, that's, that's saying you need to be an example. But it's not be an example, be an example, and if you have to, use words. No, Jesus demonstrates it's both. You use your words and you use your life. Uh, and speaking of commands, let's go back to the Gospel of John chapter 13, where I purposely skipped over five really important verses in the life of a Christian, uh, starting with verse 31. Children, I am still with you for a little while. You will look for me. And just as I said to the Jewish religious leaders, where I am going, you cannot come. I tell you the same. I give you 
a new commandment, saying this to his disciples around the table after he's washed their feet. Are you getting this? I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by that, by this, that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So Jesus gives us a new example, not just in leadership, but in following. You thought I was going to go, oh, a new example of a commandment. No, he's given us a new example of following. Some of us are in leadership positions. Some of us, most of us, are, I would say all of us are in, at some place in time, in following positions. What is the world's way of following? Think of someone famous and powerful. Think of someone famous and powerful, and they collect 12 ambitious men and women to work for them in different but fairly equal roles. What's going to happen in that dynamic with a a powerful, famous person gathering together 12 ambitious people that look up to them and, and want to please them and, and he's setting out a mission or a set of goals. What's going to happen in that dynamic with the 12 ambitious people? Well, I think we all know things are going to turn competitive if we're in touch with our human nature. Uh, people are going to look to stand out. If things are about to end badly or something goes wrong, uh, we're going to start pointing fingers and playing the blame game and, 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 and isolating ourselves from the issue. That's just how humanity is. And yet Jesus sets a new bar and a new example of how the disciples and us, how we should live and be known as followers, as little Christs, as Christians. They're to love one another. We are to love one another. That is our witness to the world. We can have big outreach events. We can uh, learn the Roman road and the way of the master and the four spiritual laws and all of these evangelistic tools that good-hearted and good-natured Christian men and women have devised for uh, sharing the words of the good news of Jesus Christ. But Jesus himself is saying, that's not the primary way that you are to follow me and be known as one of my disciples. The primary way is how you, how we love one another. Can you see how the modern experience of church doesn't reinforce that? That you see each other in a gathering place on a Sunday morning and then you got your other life over here and you hit pause on this until then and then you're just relying, well, my relationship with Jesus, it's personal. It's just me and him and that's all I need. Jesus says, you're not a Christian. You're not going to be known by the world in an accurate way 
as I want you to be known unless you have love for one another in truth and grace. That's how the good news of Jesus will spread. The love of brothers and sisters in Christ for one another. Wow, they love each other. Wow. Lastly, Jesus sets a new example in following, in how we're to follow, starting in the next chapter, in chapter 14, starting with verse 1. This is what he says. Remember, Jesus was greatly distressed in spirit. (laughs) He says to his disciples, to his followers, do not let your hearts be distressed. You believe in God. Believe also in me. There are many dwelling places in my Father's house. Otherwise, I would have told you because I am going away to make ready a place for you. And if I go and make ready a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may be too. And you may know where I'm going. We now hear from a third disciple, Peter, John, and Thomas. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? (laughs) Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus tells his disciples Though he was distressed over their sin, betrayal, and pending denial, they did not have to be distressed because he was preparing a place for them. And instead of humanity's need to live perfectly or to perfectly atone for their sins every time they sinned, there was a new way, a new example of the old sacrificial lamb. But not just a new example of a way to God, the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we've covered a lot of truths about God and humanity. And in light of all these truths, it's time to ask ourselves questions like, what about these truths convict me over wrong thinking about God, about elevation of self, about how I've prioritized loving other brothers and sisters in Christ and that being my primary testimony? Or what about these truths convince you? You know, I wasn't sure about this, but because of the truths in Scripture and the work of the Spirit in me, I'm more convinced that I need to be serving in this way. I need to be living in this way. So, in other words, it's time to examine your heart. (laughs) Realizing that we asked God at the beginning of our time together to use Scripture to penetrate our hearts today, I want you to ask yourself these questions. First, how can I Humbly serve others. It's one thing to serve others and then to post a selfie of you doing it, to, to, to chronicle and testify 
to your goodness of heart, but how can I humbly serve others? What is something that may feel truly beneath you that you see someone not doing like Jesus saw the disciples, not washing each other's feet, not washing Jesus' feet, and Jesus, knowing the time and the hour, was coming for him to return to the Father through a brutal crucifixion. (laughs) He wasn't thinking of his own self-interest, but he's like, huh, I know this time has come, so now it's time for me to set a new example of how to serve and how to serve humbly. How can I humbly serve others? Secondly, how can I humbly accept others' service? Are some of you, like me, a deeply flawed and imperfect sinner? Are some of you, like me, maybe more specific, that's pretty general, maybe more specifically, do you have trouble accepting other people's help and service? Because you don't want to be a bother. Uh, because, no, 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 I've, I've got it, I've got it handled. Or how about this one? Uh, I'm just going to turn this way and not look at anybody. How about this one? Uh, you don't want to accept anybody else's service because you know that you could do it better. <laughs> and they just, you just have to fix it. All right, I didn't look at anyone. God's looking, but I'm not. How can I humbly accept others' service? How many of you like Peter? And you're like, no, 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 no. No. It's loving to serve others, but it's also loving to accept service. The person that is giving you that service feels loved when you accept it. Thirdly, how can I lead sacrificially? Oh, it's easy for us as human beings to lead selfishly, to lead because, hey, I'm equipped to lead. Uh, You know why I'm leading? Because it gets a better paycheck. (laughs) You know why I'm leading? Because if, back to that other example, if I let somebody else lead, we're going to end up in a ditch. But how can you lead Sacrificially, if you're in a place of leadership, if you're a grandparent, a parent, a teacher, a manager, a boss, a minister, a pastor, there's the glory leading, there's the leading that's in your job description, but sometimes emptying out garbage cans is leading sacrificially. Lastly, how can I love sacrificially? And especially, how can I love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? 2020, bleeding into 2021, has been a year where humanity has circled its wagons. Do you know what that means? When you circle the wagons, you're, you're protecting your own against the invading forces that are coming over the hillside. It's so that no one can attack you from behind. You circle the wagons, you hunker down, and when you circle the wagons, you're thinking about yourself. 
You're thinking about what's best for you. You're thinking about just survival. And yet we have a new example of a Savior, the Son of God, who loved us sacrificially, that loved us enough to give His life for us. And so if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be called a Christian, call yourself a Jesus follower, you need to answer this question, how can I love sacrificially? And I lied, I I squeezed one more in here. And that is finally, how can my life be a new example of God's truth and grace? Do you speak truth to people? Do you speak truth to people in a way that conveys your love for them and that by not speaking that truth, you would actually be harming them? Without speaking that truth, the others in the room would not have the benefit of learning from that interaction? What I'm talking about is, do you speak truth to people even when it's solemn truth? Where you say, I hate to say this. I really do. But, I mean, go do what you... I, I know what you're going to do. Go do what you got to do, but make it quick. And I'll be here. Do you say, you know, <laughs> you're going to... You, you, you say that you're all aboard, but I know what's going to happen. I, or I know what you did. Jesus was not nice, but he was loving. And he did not rejoice in the hard truths about the sin in people's lives. He did not rejoice with it. He didn't, he didn't look down and, uh, from a lofty perch and turn up his nose at the the imperfectness and the sin and the evil that we're in, in in some of their hearts. But he shared the truth. But you know what? He didn't stop there. He doled out grace upon grace upon grace. He didn't amputate. He let people <laughs> live out their will and he was waiting for them if they repented and if they returned. How can my life be a new example of God's truth and grace? For some of us, it means that we're going to start sharing our opinion more and our opinion that's based on the truth of God and how followers of God, people that call themselves Christians, should be living. But then we're going to give grace to people when they don't live that way. We're going to tell them the truth, but we're going to give them grace and we're going to, and we're going to see them as image bearers of God. That they're always welcome. Always. That they don't have to be perfect or cleaned up to fellowship with us and break bread with us and ask the hard questions of faith with us. In closing, uh, we know from these stories of Scripture and the rest of the Gospels, that Jesus, as a leader, spoke and lived with truth and grace 
and allowed the Father to exalt him. He didn't have to do it. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. In other words, he made all these aspects of what makes a leader and a follower and a person that wants to be closer with God, all things new. In this first full week of spring, may Christ's example be our example as we seek to point others to our humble, truth-telling servant king that makes all things new. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. All of it. And yet, Father, we struggle sometimes to understand it because your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts, the Bible says. And yet, you give us a helper. Not only did Jesus die for our sins and to pay the penalty of sin for us, which is death, but he also died so that he could not just be with 12 people at a time. He died so that he could uh, leave this earth and leave his earthly body behind and leave with us your helper, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate our minds and our hearts, to illuminate what sin resides there, to illuminate the words of Scripture that we might have heard read before, or we've read before, or we've seen before, but your Holy Spirit then illuminates it, shines a light on it, so that we can better understand how then we should live, to better understand who you are and who humanity is with you and apart from you. Father, there may be people within earshot of my voice right now that feel distant from you. Will you use your Holy Spirit and illuminate their hearts and minds so that they know that an omnipresent God will never be far from them. That if they put their faith and trust in your son Jesus and they confess their sin, that, that with repentance they, they have your Holy Spirit within them. How can we be far from you when your Spirit can dwell in us and let us see things uh, differently. Father, help us in our daily lives, practically. If we do one practical thing this week, Father, help us to practically live a life that is less us versus them. Less ducks and beavers. Less commodores and volunteers less crimson tide and tigers but father more of us sinners that can be and should be saved by grace let us live that way this week we ask in jesus name amen